Pound the Rock, the Scores NBA podcast. My name is Joseph Cacharo, and I'm joined, as always, by co-host Joe Wolfond. What up, Cash? What up is that we're kind of getting to trade season. I know some people might be rolling their eyes. Actually, no one's rolling their eyes. I feel like the only person that would usually be rolling their eyes with me talk would be you, but you're actually the one who had the idea for this episode, so no one should be rolling their eyes. To explain to our listeners... Uh, December 15th marks the unofficial start of trade season in the NBA. There's nothing stopping teams from making trades before that date, but December 15th is when players who signed new contracts in the offseason become eligible to be traded. Now, there's some caveats there. Depending on the type of contract some players signed, that's not always the case. Uh, DeAndre Ayton, a perfect example, when his offer sheet was matched, uh, he can actually not be traded to Indiana for a full calendar year since the because they were the ones who gave him the offer. And also, he can't be traded at all until January 15th, at which point he would still have like a right of refusal in terms of where he goes, I think, for a calendar year. But anyway, for the most part, guys who sign new deals in the summer can be traded as of December 15th. So it does mark the unofficial start of trade season. And we thought, or rather Wolfon thought, and I agreed with him, that we could do an episode today where we go through some teams that we think should or, you know, in some cases need to make a trade. I want to start with the league's marquee franchise because Joe Wolfon, even though we, you know, do talk a lot of Lakers already and have spoken a lot about the Lakers this season, you wrote a piece yesterday um, about the Lakers' recent uptick in play, I'd say, and how that's maybe tra- uh, changed their calculus when it comes to what they'll do on the trade market. And you concluded that feature, spoiler alert, by saying that they've at least made the case for going and getting some reinforcements. Mm. So I think a good place to start is, what is that case? Because I think we might disagree on that a little bit. I'm, I'm still not convinced. Like, I wonder how much of that case has been made just against the Spurs. (laughs) Because (laughs) three of their wins in that short window where they, they started playing better, and don't get me wrong, AD being back and healthy is obviously like great. They are obviously better than the 2-10 and 10 team they were to start the year. But we both had them in like the 9-10 range anyway coming into the year. I think on balance, okay, they're not as bad as they were at 2-10. and 10. Don't think they're quite as good as they've looked, you know, like in beating Milwaukee or something. But at the end of the day, a lot of this last couple of weeks is propped up by the fact they played the Spurs three times and the Pistons once. Yeah, look, I'm not convinced either. <laughs> to be clear, I, like if you yeah. read that article, yeah, I'm not. Yeah. I don't really come down on one side or the other. I just think it is a very interesting situation because I don't think that there is anything resembling an obvious answer, and any path they choose is going to have downsides, and that includes, you know, just continuing to push more of their chips in in the present day. But I do think you have to wonder as well if. The other alternative is to kind of wait things out. And I think there's a strong case for doing that, right? Like just letting Westbrook's money come off of the books, the ability to carve out, you know, something like $35 million in cap space, maybe go and chase Kyrie Irving or Draymond Green, something like that. I mean, it's it's kind of a weak free agent. It's not a great free agent class. There are names, but they're not the most impactful names at this stage of their careers. And it's also like a few of those guys, Middleton, for example, right? Like you would probably just expect that he'll end up back with the Bucks, right? Like if there was a chance that Middleton was actually going to hit the market, I think that's somebody that would be worth waiting for. 
I it it does maybe feel a little bit like Kyrie or bust. Um, I, Draymond would be a nice ad for them too, but also, what does Draymond look like? You know, in an offensive environment without the kind of not that LeBron's you know a shot creator to sneeze at, but a much different type than Stephen Curry, obviously. Um, but th- I think Draymond could fit there pretty nicely. I don't know. Like, would would that be satisfactory for the Lakers if that was the guy they came away with by essentially punting this season and just waiting? Um, but the, the other thing to consider, too, is like, so right now they have those two first-round picks that they can trade, 2027 and 2029. If they were to wait, then they could also trade their 2023 pick. You know, once once they make the pick, essentially, on draft night, then suddenly they've got three first-rounders that they can use if they want to go and make a blockbuster. Again, like, what's the answer? I have no yeah. idea. Which would be the Pelicans pick, essentially. Yes, right. Right, like it like would be we're, so... We're assuming that, that they're going to have to make that swap. Right, and then... so they finish with a worse record than New Orleans. Yeah, and then, and then once they make it, they can trade it, but it would most likely be somewhere in the 20s based on the season the Pelicans are having. Yeah, it's looking like it might be in the you know twenty five to thirty range yeah. based on the way the Pelicans are playing right now. So that's a good point. You know, maybe that pick won't ultimately be worth something, but uh, still better to have three first rounders yep. to trade than two. So yeah, you can make the case in either direction, and I think coming into the year or any year for that matter, when when you employ LeBron James, like that's always sort of the the common sense company line is like, okay, you employ LeBron James. He's turning 38 in a few weeks. You got to do everything that you can to maximize your chances of winning in the present day. And it's, there's almost a flip side to that now where it's like, okay, LeBron is about to turn 38. He's still very, very good. But he's also not the type of LeBron who can just give you the type of, you know, conference finals level floor that maybe he could in the past all by himself. And then do you wonder with this version of LeBron, like how much of our future is actually worth mortgaging? But then you have Anthony Davis playing the way that he's playing. And it almost feels like even more than maybe you owe it to LeBron, you might owe it to Anthony Davis to give yourself the best chance to win in the present. Um, But then again, the flip side to that, right? Even after this mini hot streak, you know, bolstered by playing the Spurs, though it might be, like they've played very good basketball. All that's done is gotten them to, you know, the fringes of the Western Conference play-in race. The play-in race, not even the playoffs proper, but like two games out of a play-in spot with three teams still to leapfrog just to get into that mix. And it's like, what are we really pushing for here? I don't know. And 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 even then, it's like you're you're banking on Anthony Davis continuing to play at this level and continuing to stay healthy, which is not something that, like historically, is a smart thing to bank on. So I don't know. I, I could see them going either direction, and I can see like many reasons to justify it in either direction. Um, what what do you think? You you said you weren't convinced that you don't agree. You think they should just like stand pat, just basically ride this season out, do as well as they can. No, I think they should. I, you know what I think. 
you think they should go the other direction? I think they should go the, yeah, the direction we haven't mentioned at all yet, which is that, and I know the response, and I get what the, what you're going to say is, that, well, it's not going to happen anyway. The Lakers just aren't going to do that. I'm saying what they should do is come to grips with the fact that they are not going to compete at the highest level for the remainder of the, like, what's LeBron's contract now? Another year and a half? He's got next year and then? Well, yeah. I mean, he extended it by two years, but maybe it was a one plus one. Yeah, I think it was a one plus one. But they are so far away that there is not a move to be made. And there is not a player in that 2023 free agent class that gets them into title contention. The best moves they can make this year might make them a more firm play-in team that maybe gets into the first round of the playoffs. And you can say, but they've got AD playing this way and they still have LeBron. It's like, yeah, that's true. And they're still that far away. And that's not an indictment of them necessarily. That's more so about Rob Plink of the front office, the way his team has been built. We've ranted about that ad nauseum. We don't need to go down that road today. But the point is they are that far away. And LeBron is at the stage of his career he's in. You can't necessarily even bank on him being here a couple of years from now. AD, for as good as he's been, you brought up the point. You have to consider how long he'll really stay healthy. He can be a free agent in 2024. You're looking at maybe another year and a half with him. Perhaps if you're a really optimistic Lakers fan, you'd say it as like, no, but he's the future of the franchise. Like, they'll just re-sign him in 2024. And it's like, all right, if you want to bank your future on Anthony Davis is like first half of his 30s, Cool, you do that. I'm not comfortable doing that. Mm. And so I realize it might sound a little sensationalist, but I truly believe that if if you take out the fact that it's it's the Los Angeles Lakers and that's not what they do, and they chase stars, they don't trade them away. Like if you just look at this from a reasonable like NBA team trying to like protect their viability going forward, try to like put themselves in the best shape going forward. And again, I'm not talking about mortgaging a chance to win a championship right now because they need to understand that is not happening. I don't care how good AD is right now and how good LeBron still is. They're that far away. So what's the next option? It's you look to protect your future. And the way you do that is you trade Anthony Davis at a time when he has rebuilt his value to a point where like teams actually would give up quite a haul and you can actually start to replenish those barren cupboards of draft capital and future-minded assets and things like that like and then you're training LeBron too right like obviously you're not I think I feel like with LeBron it's a lot more of what he wants because I mean it's LeBron and I do wonder how much of it is just like whether if he just wants to be in LA, like if he's comfortable in LA for the rest of his career, I actually do wonder like if even if the Lakers wanted to, if they would ever actually make that deal, if LeBron didn't want it, just because of the fact it's like, you don't want to be the team that pisses LeBron. Like, okay, and whether LeBron's that carries also, weight. LeBron's also out here saying that he was going to go and play with Bronny. Fair enough. Great point. Great point. So then you know what? Trade them both then. Like trade LeBron to them. But I, I think it has to start with AD and also because AD is where the value is. Like, if we're talking pure trade packages, AD is where the value is, right? I just, and yeah. It's just, okay. I get, I, I understand your counterpoint was that, I mean, maybe you disagree with my, the premise in general, I'm not sure, but I think your counterpoint would be that regardless of whether you, whether you agree with my premise or not, the Lakers just aren't going to do that. And so it's a waste to even. Yeah. I mean, I wonder if, 
there's just sort of a middle ground. And I got into this a, a little bit in the piece too, right? You can say, okay, maybe there's a middle ground where you don't give up everything. You give up a little bit to get a little bit better in the present and you maintain some flexibility for the future. Is that bringing like the best of both worlds or is that the worst of both worlds where exactly. you're still not that good in the present and you're also maybe compromising your ability to make that big swing down the road? Um, I don't know. I think there there's probably a situation where they could use one of the first rounders to go and get a, a present day upgrade and maybe one that doesn't clog up their cap sheet like beyond this season. I think for that reason, I'm looking at like the Westbrook contract and saying, I, I think I would just hang on to him, you know, mm -hmm. rather than rather than trading him in a deal that's going to put long term money on their books, like preserve that cap space, ride it out with him for the rest of the season and do the, you know, the Patrick Beverly, Kendrick Nunn and a first rounder package, which obviously is not knocking anybody's socks off, but. If you're if there are light protections on that 2027 pick, for example, I think that's still pretty enticing for a team that's looking to get off of. I don't know. I, I threw out a bunch of possibilities yeah. in that piece, and none of them are particularly sexy. But again, like they're, uh, you know, a little bit of help I do feel like could go a long way for this team because there are some positive indicators. I actually think like defensively they've been pretty sound when they've been healthy, not just in terms of the results but the process too, and offensively like i just man how much would would just like a, an uptick in shooting help them like even as it is they are the number one team in the league in rim volume like they have been all year getting more than 40 percent of their shots inside the restricted area despite the fact that teams pack the paint against them constantly because they can't shoot um there there could be a compounding effect there where they get like a real impact shooter and that just allows them to you know that just amplifies their ability to score on the interior that much more um i think that's that's something worth considering and i certainly think they could also use some more playmaking and secondary ball handling especially if you know if westbrook is going out in a deal then they would certainly have to shore up their guard depth i think um but like I, I don't know. You know, it's the West is there are a lot of teams that are better than the Lakers right now in the West. And they kind of have a lot of ground to make up and a big gap to close, but nobody's running away with that conference either. Like I could see the Lakers sort of talking themselves into, okay, we still have arguably the best top two of any of the teams in this conference. And if we can just, build out our depth a little bit and like balance the roster, make it make a little bit more sense then we could be right there. I don't know if I necessarily agree with that, but it's not the craziest thing in the world either. Yeah. That, well, what I was going to say is, Oh, I agree with you that the Lakers can talk themselves into that. They can't talk me into that, but they can definitely talk themselves into that. And I'm sure they will. I'm sure they will talk themselves into that. Yeah. So, I mean like guys that I could see them potentially targeting, um, like one of the Utah guards, Clarkson, Sexton, uh, you know, Conley, I think they would have to do the, like use the Russ contract probably to get Conley. Uh, and he, what does he have? One more year after this one? I believe so. Yeah. So Conley's back again, by they, the way tonight, right? At, sorry. Back from injury tonight. I think Conley. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. 
So if they were looking to maximize, you know, cap space for next season, then Conley wouldn't be the guy. But, um, uh, you know, a smaller scale deal, I feel like Clarkson could really help. Uh, Bojan Bogdanovich in Detroit, uh, maybe a package with him and Alec Burks where you get the shooting and you also get a little bit of supplemental ball handling. Although, again, I, I didn't realize this when I wrote the piece. This is actually a mistake on my part. But uh, I didn't realize that the Pistons had extended Bogdanovich. So he's not an expiring I did not realize that either. Yeah, it, I feel like that was a deal that really flew under the radar. But like when they made the mo- when they made the deal, it was like an immediate extension. I think so. Yeah, interesting. Oh, uh, by the way, too, just to time. just to note it, uh, Conley has a not fully guaranteed twenty four point four million dollars for next season. Now I don't know how much of that is guaranteed or not guaranteed, mm. but he's on the books for just under twenty four point four next year, but it's not fully guaranteed. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, so the other thing worth considering is obviously there was a lot of talk about the buddy healed miles Turner package from Indiana. And I've kind of said, and I still feel this way, like I, I, AD at the five is really good. AD at the four can also be really good, especially if you have someone like Turner who can stay out of his way offensively. But I think the fact that like there have been seasons where AD has played a lot of center in the past, even though he's been kind of outwardly resistant to that idea. There's never been a season like this one where he is a full time, like 100% of his minutes have been at center and he's been fantastic. Like it's defensively as the last line of defense where last season, I actually think he struggled in that role. He's been magnificent this year. And then offensively, he's the lone big man on the floor all the time. That's making it easier for, him to find those rolling lanes. Like he's, he's rolling to the basket more often pretty much than he ever has, at least since he's been a Laker, his efficiency as a role man is like off the charts. And just generally like he's able to have more space to work on the interior. He's not having to, to spot up. He's not having a space for jumpers. Um, he's finding room to attack on faceups. All of that, I think has really unlocked his offensive game. So maybe you don't want to prioritize, you know, a deal that would, bring a center into the mix even if that center would complement him really well um i think maybe you want to focus more on you know deepening the wing core adding more guard depth more ball handling more playmaking for sure um so i don't know there's just a lot of different directions they can go and i don't have an answer as to what they should do i just think it's a really interesting situation because there are many things they could do and any one of them brings, you know, a lot of upside and a lot of downside. So um, they're certainly like, as we ramp up to trade season, probably the most interesting team to watch and the most unpredictable because I don't, I don't know what they want to do. I don't know what they're going to do. I'm not sure if the Suns were one of the teams you wanted to talk about today. Not really, but no, like I, me neither. Like I, I didn't want to go too much into them. I do think the, I think getting stomped by the Mavericks gave them some sort of PTSD trigger that like rendered them useless again in big games. If you saw them get absolutely destroyed by the Celtics the other night, also could just be a weird two game sample in what's been a very topsy turvy season. But I was just going to throw it out there. I had brought it up to you in a make or miss. And this was also like two weeks into the season when I brought it up. Not much had transpired yet. I do want to just bring it to your attention again and get your thoughts on it. Not even saying the Lakers want to trade AD. I'm not saying they would agree with me that they should. I'm saying. If the Suns were to pick up the phone and say, DeAndre Ayton, salary filler, and a boatload of first-rounders, 
for us to maximize our title window and bring AD in here. Do the Lakers take that? Do they think about it or do they say, no, AD's our guy. Aiton and draft picks is not enough for us to abandon what we consider like the AD timeline. I think they would have to think about it. Like they would have to have some conversations about it. And they would, I mean, what do they do? Do they just bring that to LeBron? And ask him. See that this is, and to your point though, this is what makes them so fascinating and the most yeah. interesting team at the deadline to be because it's like that is a perfect example. It's a deal I've been advocating for all season where it's like I think it makes a ton of sense for Phoenix. Obviously, they need I do think they still need to make like get one notch higher to truly get the franchise's first championship. But you get AD in and it's you have this year and next year. You have two playoff runs essentially with AD Booker and and Chris Paul. But um, that's what makes it so interesting because it's like most teams in the Lakers current situation, if not all teams in this current situation, that's like almost a no brainer for them. Look, we get a young big man that can be part of the future. We restock the draft cupboards, trade him AD to a contender. Like we start again, but the Lakers are not most teams and they have LeBron James at age almost 38 and they probably would take it to him. And then it's like, what does LeBron say? I don't know. Um, so Yeah. Again, to your point, I think it's all part of what makes them the most interesting team of trade season. For sure. Um, okay, who who else do you have on your docket here? Uh, I mean, if I don't know if you wanted to like shift to a team where we have more of a positive spin or else I'm going to go to Chicago and it's anything but positive. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, like you had that video on the Scores YouTube channel, which had the title, The Bulls are the NBA's most depressing team. And obviously you are not the only one who feels oh, yeah, that way because three days two, later or two, two days, days later, three days later, whenever it was, uh, yeah, Michael Pena at the ringer put out a piece with the exact same title. So many people are saying the bulls are the NBA's most depressing team. Uh, I guess I should give you the floor and let you lay out why you feel that way and why you feel like making a big trade is their only way out of this. All right. Well, I mean, like similar how we just spoke about the Lakers being, you know, a bad team or like a play-in team at best that's already mortgaged their future to get there. But at least they're the Lakers and can bank on, look, eventually free agency will get us out of this somehow, some way. Like Chicago's not the Lakers, but they're in a similarly depressing state. They're 10 and 14. They are 12th in the Eastern Conference. They, in case anyone wants to point to the fact they've had kind of a tough schedule or they did deal with injuries. When all three of DeMar DeRozan, Zach Levine, and Nikola Vucevic are on the court together, their net rating is minus 4.6 per 100 possessions. One of the worst big minute trios in the league. If you remember, uh, one of my bold predictions coming into the year was that the Bulls were going to miss out on the play-in altogether. That the way things were going with Lonzo out and his knee uh, still really sounding unfortunate, like whether he's ever, not ever, but this season at least, whether he's going to be able to overcome this and get back on the court. Is he going to walk up the stairs like it's really sad because he yeah. was totally hitting his stride, I feel like, with the Bulls. Like, had found, I think, the optimal role for himself in the league and was sort of starting to take off and was a huge part of the success they had in the first half of last season. And injuries have kind of been an issue with him since he entered the league, but this is crazy, man. Like, this long after... I don't, What was the, like, original uh, diagnosis so on that injury? I can't it was, remember. It was six weeks in, I believe, January. Six weeks for arthroscopic surgery on his knee. Didn't end up playing the rest of last season. Now we're looking at 11 months later, still, you know, having trouble going up the stairs. And every time Billy Donovan provides an update, it sounds really discouraging. So 
yeah, something that was supposed to be six weeks and mm-hmm. back has now turned into 11 months and no timetable for return. Yeah, and then you think, you know, when teams talk about player injuries, they will always put the most positive possible spin on it that they can. You know, like they will communicate it in a way that is, you know, like as optimistic as it could possibly be. And so when you hear a team completely unable to put any kind of optimistic spin on something like that, like that really rings a lot of alarm bells. You know, like if they can't find anything positive to say about the situation, it's got to be really, really bad. So that's just brutal. And it's like in part, the Bulls are in this situation because of decisions that they made. uh, and, And some of this was foreseeable, but a lot of it's just been completely out of their control too. And like that, that goes to, the Lonzo thing and it goes to the Levine thing too where yeah. there were red flags and there were reasons that you could have said you know giving him 200 million dollars was going to come back to bite them but he'd also played well enough I think to to earn that max contract and right now it's just looking really really scary in terms of the fall off that he's already seemingly had and and the money that's still owed to him so yeah it's just a combination of I guess, questionable decisions and really unfortunate circumstance that has put them in this spot. Last year, Lonzo and Caruso both going down definitely sank them. But again, like when you are that bad with your best three players, like the guys you're paying a combined 86 plus million dollars all together on the court, it does make me less... I guess, sympathetic to the excuses. And it's not that the excuses don't exist. Obviously, this is not the team they envisioned because Lonzo's not there. Levine's not at his best. But it's like at some point, you got to get the job done with all three of your best players on the court, man. And the reason that the Bulls, to me, and uh, clearly to other people, are the most depressing team in the league is because of the way they got here and now what they have to watch unfold around them. Like, Mm. you got to remember, when they made that trade for Vucevic, who is, by the way, on an expiring contract now, and... I think he's actually been solid this season, but it, it, like he is a diminished Vucevic in Chicago compared to what he was in Orlando, which is just natural. Like he's getting older. I think he's 32, 33 now. But when you look at the deal they made for him, assuming that he does walk at the end of this year, right? Because I don't know what, you know how much they'd want to be looking at signing him again as a 33-year-old big man who's already diminishing. But you're looking at a deal that given where the Bulls currently are in the standings and the fact that it looks like, even if they get in the play-in, I don't see them as a playoff team, so it's likely a lottery pick. That deal looks like it's going to end up being Wendell Carter Jr., the pick that became Franz Wagner, and a 2023 lottery pick for like two and a half years of Vooch, during which time the Bulls made the playoffs once and won one playoff game, I believe, maybe two. Didn't win a playoff series is the point. Um you know, they still owe uh, the Spurs a 2023 first rounder from the DeRozan trade. Now, as I noted in that video that you talked about that I put up for the Scores Unfiltered series, the DeRozan thing, like, yeah, they still owe a pick from it. But given what he's done for that franchise and like what he's like, I, no one can say, well, they shouldn't have done it. They still owe a pick. Like they got more than what they bargained for in acquiring DeMar DeRozan. But the problem is collectively what they envisioned for a DeRozan, Vooch, Levine, big three, if you want to even call it that is was clearly better like bigger than this and there are some people and i mentioned this in the video as well that i'm I'm sure will say well look the whole point of all those moves and going kind of all in was that 
they were trying to convince Zach Levine and show Zach Levine, look, we are committed to building a winner around you. And in order to get him to sign, re-sign there, right? And so in that sense, if you think that was the goal and now they've got Levine locked up long-term, well, success. But first of all, I think you can argue the merits of whether, you know, Zach Levine for the next five, six years, five years on the contract he's on is, uh, you know, a good gamble or not. And second of all, like, if it's to be the face of like a very mediocre at best team, then what's it all for? So now they find themselves in this situation where they've mortgaged the future to be a playing team, maybe a first round out. It's, it's, it's depressing. So what is their next move? Like I said, Vooch is on an expiring contract. I think he's at least been solid this season. Like you can get something for an expiring Vooch. I'm sure teams would come calling if they put him on the market. The bigger question is more DeRozan because DeRozan's got a year and a half left on his contract. He's a free agent in 2024, but it's still their best player is more valuable than Vooch with an extra year left on his deal. So that's the one to me where it's like, if they really want to start resetting this thing and start bringing in some future-minded capital, DeRozan's the guy they should be putting on the trade market. How receptive he is to that, who knows? But that's the deal I think they should really be trying to make. And then if you were the Lakers, would you, you know, shell out both of those tradable first rounders? In order to get that deal done, oh man, like I think Demar makes them a lot better. Yeah, but again, do I think? I mean, look, the way AD's playing, if you AD Demar Lebron in a West that, as you noted, is it's good. And there's a lot of teams better than the Lakers, but there's no runaway juggernaut. For sure, the Lakers can talk themselves into that team contending. Yeah. I think they well, still then, have to find a way to surround those guys with shooting. Mm-hmm. But maybe that's easier to do with DeRozan in the mix. I mean, you never know. There's always like veterans that end up on the bio market, whatever. But if I'm running the Lakers and I, they, I, I'm I at the point where I don't think that move gets them close enough to contention, I think you got to like pivot, plan for a couple years from now, start recouping. I don't make it. I explore trading AD. But if I'm running the Lakers, given the organization mandate which is probably no we still have to maximize this window and who cares about two years from now don't worry about that then i make that deal for DeRozan. i kind of just still think in spite of everything we've said about Kyrie and the availability issues and the character issues and the distractions and all of that still think they'd be in a better spot just holding on to those picks opening up the cap space and if they think that that's in the bag, which they, I, who knows if it actually is, but it doesn't seem like there's going to be a feeding frenzy, you know, teams trying to get in on the, on the Kyrie business. Uh, you can get then, Kyrie for a, a Amazon gift card right now. <laughs> um, yeah. I don't know. I, again, so like a lot of, a lot of different uh, potential avenues for both of these teams. And like with Chicago, the Vucevic thing is a good point, right? Because he's expiring. So if they really don't see this season going anywhere, then they would have to get off of him now and see what they can get back for him. But they, you mentioned, like they also owe their pick this year to Orlando. So it's not like making lose now trades 
makes any kind of sense for them. Like it's top four protected. It's going to yeah. take some doing yeah. for them to get then, themselves into a position to get one of those top four picks. And then and again, then, and they, they have, have a the one after that to San Antonio, I believe. <laughs> well, 2025. Oh, sorry. Okay. So they have the 2024 one. Okay. But they also get the Blazers pick yes. this year, assuming the Blazers yeah. make the playoffs. I think yeah. it's, a, it's lottery protected. So, uh, you know, I'm not hundred percent convinced the Blazers are going to make the playoffs, but good chance they get the Blazers pick this year and they wind up, you know, moving down a few spots in, in that whole bargain. Um, so that, that's a reason where they could be like, okay, why would we trade DeMar now? when there's not really a huge incentive for us to do it, to be as bad as possible this season. Um, I don't know if that's reason enough for them to hold on to Vooch. If they actually don't see a future for him in Chicago beyond this season, then yeah, it would make sense for them to put him on the table. But I, I actually think they've played not that poorly. I don't think they've been as bad as like their record or their surface level numbers suggest. Like the Levine thing's really concerning to me from a big picture perspective, just because... He's in the first year of that new contract and already like, here's the thing with Levine, man, the the bar for his scoring is very high. And the fact that he cleared that bar in the last couple of years, like that's what made him worthy of the contract he signed because he became such a good scorer at all three levels, ultra efficient as a shooter, as a self creator, as a finisher at the rim, but now he's at 47% from two-point range. You know, last year he was at 54%. The year before that, he was at 57%. He's a great shooter, but the big thing for him has always just been his ability to, to get to the rim and, like, be an explosive finisher at the rim. And that, to me, is what's really missing right now. Like, he's just not... He's still able to get by guys and get to the basket, but, like, when he gets there, it's just the, the finishing... The finishing step, like the the kind of like full extension and the, the way that he was able to kind of finish through length and contact in the past, I just feel like hasn't been there. You know, like he's not looking like that kind of really powerful finisher that we've seen in the past. And that's really concerning given the straight line that you can draw from like the knee issues that he is dealing with to to those particular struggles. So that would worry me, but... Right now they're they're twenty sixth in offense, man. Like they can't be that bad offensively, can they? Not that bad, but again, like where does the where does the balancing out effect end up happening? It's like, well, they're not a bottom five offensive team, but are they probably like mediocre? And are like in the end, is that kind of not what they are in general? Is like a very mediocre team, right? Like even if they're a little better than what mm. they've shown so far. I don't think that it's I don't think they're better by enough to justify anything other than like this thing needs to be reset. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Um it's the Levine thing remains the big piece to me. Like the 100%. reason that that hit this, the bar for his scoring is as high as it is is just because he doesn't do anything else at an above average level. Like I think he's actually improved defensively to the point that you could call him average or close to it at that end, but like his playmaking is still so limited for a guard who has the ball in his hands as much as he does. Even though he plays off the ball a lot, like he's still running a lot of pick and roll and man, does he telegraph those passes? Like, man, is he a predictable playmaker? And I, 
he's got to be that, you know, 60 plus percent true shooting high volume scorer in order for him to be like an actual high impact offensive player or overall high impact type of player. And he's just not doing that right now. So that's concerning, but like also this team's eighth in defensive efficiency. And it seems crazy because they start DeRozan, Levine and Vooch. But when I watch them, it doesn't feel like that unsustainable to me. And around those guys, they have a lot of really good defenders. Obviously, we talk about Caruso all the time, but also I think Desumu is a, you know a really good young defender, like excellent screen navigator. Yep. Uh, Javante Green, like a, a lot of their bench players actually are really good defensively, which is maybe why you see these crazy splits that they have between their starters and their bench, where like their bench is killing teams and their starters are kind of bleeding points. So I don't think Vooch has been like terrible defensively this season no definitely not man like he we've seen in the past when he has Mm -hmm. like you know solid point of attack defenders in front of him in terms of just like his positioning his ability to to clean the defensive glass like he can be really solid in the right scheme uh it's just like if you you know kind of leave him exposed like if you're forcing him to defend one on two a lot of the time then he's going to struggle but um, you know, he's very positionally sound and he's a big body who knows how to use his big body to, uh, you know, deter shots at the rim. And then again, like end possessions by cleaning the defensive glass. So I think he's been fine. Uh, I don't think this is a top 10 defense, but like, could they be average or slightly above? Like, I think they could. So if their offense comes around, then they can still find themselves in the playoffs. And I know like, yeah, you're, you're making a face and I get it. Like given the, the assets that they have expended, to build this team, just like squeaking into the playoffs and losing in the first round is not where they want to be. But I also don't think it's the type of situation where they have to look at and be like, no, we have to get proactive and blow this thing up now, especially given that they owe their pick uh, in the coming draft to another team. So I feel like if there are big moves coming for the, for for this Bulls team, it's probably going to happen, you know, in the off season. Um, But I guess the Vooch thing would be the one to watch. Like if they don't see, Resigning him, then obviously now would be the time to move him and see what they can get back. I also think uh, Caruso, like if they if they really did want to, you know, not just you know, not talking about like blowing it up completely, but if they wanted to start making some future oriented moves, I think they could get a lot for Caruso. Yeah. I think he would be very much in demand around the league, and that'd be a super interesting one. The Lakers should give up one of those first round picks for him. <laughs> Man, I think that would be. Too embarrassing for them to stomach, even if it would be the right thing for them to do. Um, besides, man, they found new Caruso in Austin Reeves. Yeah. Like the new undrafted free agent who yeah. has come in and just given them a real jolt. Uh, obviously not the defender that Caruso is, but probably better Solid offensive player. player. Yeah. Yeah. Solid overall. All right. Before this episode devolves into uh, too much talk of Alex Caruso and Austin Reeves, let's take a break. Reset ourselves the way I advocated for the Bulls resetting and come back and maybe you can give us some more positive teams to talk about. What's up, Pound the Rock listeners? Just a friendly reminder to rate, review, and subscribe to the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. You can also check out the Scores Fantasy Football Podcast with Justin Boone. And in case you haven't already, download the Score app, available on iPhone and Android. That's where you can find all of our feature content, as well as live scores, updates, and breaking news. 
And don't forget to check out the Score's YouTube page for an informative yet lighthearted dive into the sports world's trending topics. Now back to the show. All right, well, fun. Let's keep this show going. I'm hoping you're going to spin this in a positive light. Maybe a team that can make a move to truly do something this season as opposed to my negativity about the Lakers and Bulls. How about the Warriors? All right. Now we're talking. Kind of, a, kind of an obvious one, but... yeah. And I know you said before the break, we got to transition before this devolves into more talk of Alex Caruso, but oh, dude, baby. If, the Bull, if the Bulls decided to make Caruso available, I feel like the Warriors should be all over that. Yep. Like, would he not just slot perfectly into the, the GP2 spot that uh, I feel like, you know, GP2 hasn't played this year, so it's hard to say, oh, they're really hurting for his absence, but they are. Um, and... I think, you know, just in terms of like shoring up their defense, which has taken a big step back while still being uh, a really functional connective piece on offense, he's not going to give you the kind of above the rim finishing that GP2 gave them, but he is definitely a guy that you can use as a screener in the pick and roll and is going to be, you know, a, a very effective short roll playmaker. So, dude, I think, like, what would that take? You know, would they, I don't know if they put, they, they probably wouldn't put Kaminga on the table to get Caruso. No, no way. But no like Moody, way. would they do Moody? And would the Bulls do that? Mm, that's an interesting question. Wiseman? Uh, I don't think they, I, the, no way. The Warriors don't put Wiseman on the table. Not for Caruso. Well, okay. They're, I'm, I'm not saying they shouldn't. I'm not, well, I'm probably saying they shouldn't, but I'm saying they definitely won't. Did you see this recent report? Apparently, they want to put Wiseman on the table for Pirtle. So you're telling me they'd be willing to do it for Pirtle, but not for Caruso? If they're truly willing to put him on the table for Pirtle, then yes, they would be willing to put him on for Caruso. Or at least they should be. I would just love Caruso at Golden State. I would also no, like he'd, he'd be a there, perfect though. fit. But I think... The Warriors being in this conversation and in this episode continues to speak to the fact that this two timeline thing just like it. I understand the logic behind it, but it's time to abandon it. You got your championship, yes, but that's not if you truly want to be light years ahead. The money they're spending um, between salaries and luxury tax payments, like I think you got to try to win at least one more. And especially given where Steph is in his career, Draymond expiring, Clay after all the injuries, the way Wiggins is playing right now, by the way, who's been like fantastic this season on both sides of the ball. We've talked about this before. It's one thing to have this two timeline, but like your next timeline is not going to be anywhere near as high upside as this one. I don't care how good James Wiseman, Jonathan Kaminga, Moses, like with Wiggins there, with Poole, they could be good. They're not going to be this good or anywhere near it. Their ceiling is not going to be anywhere near as high because it all comes down to having Steph friggin' Curry at the center of it all. And so you are more likely just like reach this team ceiling, like win another championship going all in on this core or not, you did, not even all in. You don't have to get rid of all the young guys, but like you're still more likely to produce a championship by continuing to add to this core and taking away from your future than you are by maintaining whatever second timeline you want and ending up with a team built around like Jordan Poole and James Wiseman. Like 
you have to accept reality here. And the re- reality for your franchise is a pretty cool one to be in because you still got Steph Curry and all those guys. So definitely at least expend some of that future capital to continue adding to this team because they are still right there. I said it a couple weeks ago. I still think, even though they haven't played like it consistently this year, I still think they are the team to beat in the West. You make one more move, and I think they could be that runaway team in the West once they Mm. get going. How would you like Bojan for them? I'd friggin' love it. I'd like I'd like Bojan in a lot of places. Yeah. He was pretty Sayujiri listening to this episode right now. Um I yeah, I feel like he was gonna be fairly coveted at the deadline, which is just I mean, I don't know. The, like the Pistons gave him that extension. Did they do that because they actually foresaw keeping him? Or do they do that because they think or thought that would make him a more attractive trade asset? Regardless of why they did it, I guess they have to obviously be listening and be open to trading him because there are going to be a lot of people calling. And with the Warriors, I feel like, oh man, uh, another big forward who can really shoot the ball. Yeah, off a of movement, like I, uh, he's he's underrated defensively too. Like he's not the turnstile I feel like some people maybe believe him to be. So if they're looking to beef up, because obviously like Wiggins is. A firmly established, uh, you know, at the wing spot in their rotation. But if, like, like one thing that you notice with this version of the team is the Draymond of five lineups haven't been as effective as they've been in the past. And I think part of the reason for that is like they involve Jordan Poole, and you know Jordan Poole hasn't been excellent this season and he also like really struggles defensively and that you know is a reason that those lineups I feel like lose a bit of their bite but if say it's like a Bogdanovich in that lineup where you now have like Draymond Wiggins and Bogey in the front court along with Steph and Clay then it's like you have the size on the wing to still like you know functionally that's a small lineup but you're not as small as you are when it's you know Steph and and Poole out there so Uh, I think that would be a reason to potentially do that for Golden State is like to add another big, somewhat defensively capable shooter to that mix where those lineups could be as effective or close to as effective as they've been in the past. Um, that That's an interesting one for them. But like, what what do you make of the fact that they, that Pirtle is seemingly a guy that they are targeting? Like, is that the right type of player for them to target? That would seem to suggest that they're ready to wash their hands of the Wiseman thing and just be done with it. And that would also mean that they're maybe close to being done with Draymond at center, you know, like they could still, they could find minutes for it still uh, and would probably still close some games with it, especially because of, uh, you know, Pirtle's uh, free throw shooting woes, the way that that makes it hard to play him sometime and sometimes in crunch time. But if they are, you know, going to go and put stuff on the table to get Pirtle and then presumably reassign him and they still have Looney, who's not going anywhere anytime soon, just feels like it wouldn't be often that you'd be sitting both of those guys at the same time. Does that mean that they just like with Draymond's age and like maybe like waning physical tool set, like they don't believe that him at center is the answer anymore or like they want to hedge against him potentially not coming back after this season. What does that mean I to think, you? I think it would be a hedge, but my question with them chasing Pirtle would be like, for as much as I like Pirtle, is he even like? Is he even like an upgrade over Looney, or is he enough? Yes, I, I, I think so. So then, what do you do? Are you moving Looney? 
Because then, what, like, what are you doing having Pirtle, Looney, and Draymond on this? I know you could say, well, Draymond might be gone next year, but I, I don't know. It just, I feel like then maybe move Looney. I feel like there's some no, no, overlap no. I think there. okay, yeah, like him and Looney are kind of similar players. I think, yeah, you know, sort of like really good screeners. Uh, I think Pirtle's like a better pick and roll finisher, uh, better passer, like. He he's an upgrade to me. Better rim protector for sure. The way that they've really succeeded this season is with Draymond at the four next to Looney. Like those have been their most effective lineups by far. So you make Looney your backup five and make Pirtle your starting five. Like I don't think you lose any effectiveness with the starting lineups, but then I think you get a lot more solid off of the bench, which is something they very much need to do. Yeah. Uh, with Looney kind of anchoring those transitional units. So it's more a question of like opportunity cost. And is that, you know, like could, could they raise their ceiling even more by chasing a different type of player? And that's, that's more, more so what I'm asking. Is it, is it enough of an upgrade? Does, do, given what they've already got on this roster, is, does adding Jakob Pertl make you better by enough of a margin hmm. that that's where you should be spending some of your assets and some of your bullets as opposed to perhaps elsewhere? Uh, I don't know. Maybe. Like, I, I think he'd be a, a very interesting fit there. And in terms of, like, what he can do as a as a playmaker from the middle of the floor, I think would fit pretty nicely with the kind of stuff that they run. Like, they can run all, like, the, the high post split action stuff with, with him being the trigger man. And I think uh, they'd, be, they'd be pretty solid. And then in terms of his rim protection, like, he, uh, he's actually having a down year as a rim protector. And that is backed up by the stats and i would say also jives with the eye test for what i've seen so far but i think you put him in golden state and that was no longer an issue like he's playing for a very very bad san antonio team that isn't offering a ton of resistance in front of him so that wouldn't worry me too much and it's like part of the reason they drafted wiseman was to have that legitimate seven footer and like bring that type of rim protection that they didn't really have and they get that with Pirtle, like along with, you know, actually like Wiseman didn't pan out or hasn't panned out yet in that respect. He's been pretty disastrous defensively, whereas Pirtle, I think, would be ultra reliable uh, as an anchor for that defense. So I think it'd be an interesting one to to chase for them. Um, I think also, like apparently the Knicks are kind of not feeling super attached to Hartenstein. And if you wanted to do like a budget Pirtle, who wouldn't cost as much, but could still help them as a rim protector and also as a playmaker and a kind of, uh, you know, side-to-side connector in their offense. Uh, that's someone they could target too. I don't think that would cost them all that much, but he'd help. Knicks are also reportedly potentially once again shopping quickly, uh, which I think could be interesting, not necessarily for the Warriors, but just in general. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the Knicks are very much Knicksing and... Their, their fans are up in arms about the potential loss of Quigley. Quickly's probably not as good and doesn't have the type of upside that, you know, the most optimistic Knicks believers think he does. But he's also probably got more in him than what the Knicks have allowed him to showcase. And I will also, just for the lulls, just for the LOLs, I will mention that, you know, when I uh, referenced the fact that the trio of Levine, DeRozan, and Vucevic has one of the worst net ratings of any like big minute trio in the league. One of the few trios that is actually worse than them when all three are on the court together. Jalen Brunson, Julius Randle, RJ Barrett, otherwise known as the mid three. Uh, 
I wouldn't put very much of that on Jalen Brunson. I think he's been awesome. This oh, fair. Season, I, I, I don't. Yeah, I don't dispute that point. Randall and Barrett, not so much. I was never the biggest Barrett believer, but even I, I think, have been disappointed by the way that he has played so far this season. Even though, you know, I ever thought his ceiling was super high, but I thought his floor could be higher than what it's been so far this this season. Um, all right. I think you have anything else on the Warriors um, or no. anyone else that you want to talk about in this vein? Uh, the only thing I was going to mention is, you know who I think should be making a hard push for Boyan Bogdanovich? If, whether they have the type of asset capital needed to get him or not, I think the Mavs should be leaving no stone unturned in trying to make that deal. Because yeah. getting like a secondary scorer who can do some stuff alongside Luca can maybe carry some bench units offensively, just in general, be that secondary score. And plus he's got some term left because of the new extension that I just learned about today. Again, I've talked about it. I don't think they really have much in the way of like huge value contracts other than Luca's. I think they've got a couple guys on good contracts, but I don't think they've got any huge value contracts piecing together some salaries, maybe a young player, I don't know, one of their future first round picks they owe this year's to the Knicks, but the other ones are all open. Um, after this year's draft, they could trade the 2024 pick, but as of right now, they can start trading in 2025 for draft picks. So I don't know. I mean, could you see a, a path there or do you think there's just a lot of kind of mediocrity there with their contracts and there's not really anything there the Pistons would value more than what other teams could give them for bogey? looking at it i'm thinking realistically it's got to be thj who's the salary filler so is that enough of an upgrade going from hardaway jr to bogdanovich to shell out another first rounder when they're already playing catch up there you think I so think it is. i think so man i don't know man like i i think look we both agree what the mavs need is like another capable ball handler and creator right and Bogdanovich is like he can he can do some stuff to create for himself he's actually you know a fairly decent post scorer and you know he can he can kind of create his own shot a little bit but like I don't think that's what you have in mind when you think about the type of player that the Mavs really need to get them over the hump and yeah I I think Bogdanovich is better than Hardaway but is he better by enough to again make that a worthwhile exchange when they're already out this year's first. I think what they ought to be doing and probably want to be doing is keeping as many of those picks in the holster as they can in case, you know, a a big splash type of move becomes available. I don't know if that one moves the needle enough to as much as I would love him there. Yeah. I don't know. It doesn't feel like the move for them to be making right now. Like, do the Mavs have enough to even ever get in the mix for if a big star becomes available? Like, I guess you just put every single draft pick on the table with salary fillers, like include green or something and try to find your way there. But like, that's my only contention with them is that I don't think they have a path to getting in the mix for one of those potentially disgruntled or whoever star hits the market. And that's why they actually need to be more open-minded to moves like a Bogdanovich or... Uh, yeah. I don't know. It, it, it wouldn't be that... Like, I wouldn't hate it. Uh, I don't know that it would really move me, though. The other team I had in here is Miami. But All right. that's just... I, they're just kind of handcuffed. Like, I feel like they need to make a trade. I just don't know if they have the means yeah. to actually do it. But I've talked a lot about their lack of front court depth. And so maybe there's a, a smaller scale move that they could make to address that that would 
you know, be more impactful than it seems like on the surface. Like if, if they could find a way to get Jay Crowder back, could they find a way to get Jay Crowder back? Like, I mean, maybe what's he doing? He's just sitting at home watching the Suns every night. Right. But it's up to the Suns to decide when and to whom they deal him. Right. So again, it's going to come down to Jay Crowder's trade value is right now off a first round pick. Well, there was that reported three-team deal that apparently fell apart that I actually liked for all the teams involved. And I'm a little surprised it did fall apart. And I actually can't remember now which team backed out of it. But it was Grayson Allen going to Houston, Eric Gordon going to Phoenix, and Crowder going to Milwaukee. That, I don't know, that that to me kind of works out for all three teams. And that seems about right in terms of what his trade value would be. I just, yeah, and I don't know what what Miami could do uh, or what type of player they could put on the table uh, that's comparable to uh, Grayson Allen or an Eric Gordon to make that type of a deal work. Um, but I just think any kind of move where they no longer have to be relying on, I don't want to pick on him, but like Haywood Highsmith, who just, it's, it's not uh, an ideal solution for a team that has designs on being you know has designs on contending this season like it's just even Deadman, like Deadman's been fine uh, but i if they could find a way to upgrade at backup center i think that would be useful kyle kuzma like could they find a way to get him i don't know if the wizards he's got he's on an expiring deal i don't know if the wizards are going to sign him so what would it take to get him i think the last i heard was they were looking for a first round pick i mean the heat could put a first round pick and some salary filler on the table to get kuzma yeah i would really like his fit there yeah that'd make him better for sure and I think everyone, like when it comes to Miami and trades, everyone's sort of holding their breath and waiting for like the big one. Uh, and maybe that is still in the cards down the road. In season, that's not going to happen because, you know, the obviously Jimmy's not going anywhere. Bam's not going anywhere. Lowry, I don't think, would have much trade value right now. And then Hero is like the kind of big piece. Like that's presumably going to be the centerpiece of that type of big splash trade because of his extension that he signed this past offseason, he's got the, the poison pill provision that just makes him really, really difficult to trade until the offseason. So um, it, it's going to be a smaller scale thing with them, but I just feel like given the way that their season has started, uh, they they got to do something, right? Yeah, I mean, we talk about the Bulls and how depressing that situation is and them being outside the play. Like the Heat, I, I don't think the situation overall is as depressing as Chicago's, but... They're a very all-in veteran team that is outside the play-in right now that has not been good at all this year. So, yeah, they for sure should feel like they have to make a move. Yeah, and I think contrary to the Bulls who were talking about going in the other direction, like the Heat could turn things around and get back yes. up into that upper echelon. You know, yes. because Butler, when he's been healthy, has been outstanding. Bam has been just on one lately i've been yeah. really impressed with how assertively he's playing offensively like i i've loved what i've seen from bam recently um and lowry is not the player that he was but is still a real stabilizing force for them uh, like they start shooting the ball better and just bolster that supporting cast a little bit and i do think you know they're not going to get up into the boston and milwaukee tier but in the next tier down i think they could be as good as anybody uh, they they just do need some help, and specifically, I think in terms of their front court depth, they need help. So, yeah, um, yeah, if they can find one of those guys to sort of play the four for them, 
And again, Caleb Martin is actually like, he stepped into that role and he's been great. But apart from that, it's just, it's very, very thin. And um, I think they could use, use some more depth in uh, the front court. No doubt. Uh, you have any other teams you want to talk about from the trade perspective or should we get this thing going to make or miss? Um, we can go to make or miss. I mean, I know we, you and I had had a bit of a text conversation, a little back and forth after we saw, as I predicted, the Timberwolves looking way better defensively with Towns out of the lineup. Is it is it too early to start talking or thinking about what a Carl Anthony Towns trade would look like? No, I, I think they should at least be thinking about it. I think they should be in their heads at least envisioning what a townsless future might look like and how a team built more around Anthony Edwards offensively looks like. Um, yeah. I think the, the the one thing I'll say, I feel like I just missed when projecting the wolves, the way that I did coming into the season is they just have too many one way players. Yep. You know, on both ends, like because I'm saying, usually when people be like, "Oh, this team's too one," there's like, "Oh, these guys don't play defense." But yeah, in the Wolves' situation, it's interesting because they have too many one-way players, but they've got them on both ends. Yeah. So, I, I'm not advocating for them trading Towns. I think Towns is a, a, an excellent player, and I think they're still really dependent on him offensively. It's just that if they wanted to make a trade to like patch up the holes on the roster and like balance the roster a little bit. That's kind of their only play. So that's, I mean, it's something that at a certain point, maybe they're going to have to start thinking about if this experiment with Gobert continues to go as middlingly as it's gone so far, they, yeah, they might need to consider that and consider the kind of, you know, maybe two way players that they could bring in by putting somebody with Towns's pedigree on the market and yeah, just right now it's like, uh, you know, Towns is a offense only player. Gobert is, I mean, he's not a defense only player. He still brings value offensively, but he's limited offensively for sure. D'Angelo Russell is kind of a, you know, at various points this season has been a zero way player, but more recently has come alive at the offensive end, but still really struggling defensively. Edwards, you could see growing into that two-way force, but he's still very inconsistent at both ends. And especially like his focus on, on defense, I feel like wavers a lot. Uh, Jaden McDaniels, that's another guy who you could look at and be like, yeah, he could grow into that two-way player, but he's certainly not there yet. So I don't know, something to something to consider. Uh, and I'm, you know, I still think it's too early in this experiment to like be seriously considering it, but uh, something to watch, I guess, moving forward and, Especially, you know, if the Wolves keep playing this well without Towns, then uh, that's going to amplify that chatter, I would say. Yeah, I think, I mean, I talked about when they first made the deal for Gobert, how when you considered how long Gobert and Towns were under contract and the fact Edwards is on his rookie scale and is therefore under team control for a long time, that in terms of like a number of guys at a top level, this is the most stable Minnesota's ever been because they've got all three of these guys like under long-term team control. And so I do think they've got time. They don't have to rush anything. They can, they certainly don't need to, you know, rush into a, something as seismic as a Carl Anthony Towns trade. But I will also say that 
I think even if it's just like a little bug in their ear in the front of his ear, like a little thing in their mind where they're even considering, I, I definitely think that seed is being planted way earlier into this experiment hmm. than anyone could have envisioned. Not okay. saying it needs to be acted upon right now, yeah. maybe not even in the next year, but is it something that they should at least be thinking about right now? Yes. And who the hell would have thought that would be the case just, what, two months into this experiment? Something just popped into my head and I haven't given it a ton of thought, so it might sound absurd because I, again, haven't really thought it through, but... What else are podcasts for? (laughs) Just thinking about the type of players I feel like that could really help the Wolves and that they really need. Towns to the Suns for Mikel Bridges and Jay Crowder. And then obviously it it would maybe turn into a three-team deal or the Suns would then just like turn around and find another deal for Aiton. I don't know if things have changed on the Aiton front if they're now just like, oh, Aiton's our guy. We're keeping him for the life of his contract. And he's happy with that too. But if they're still thinking, okay, eventually we're going to trade Aiton, then, you know, they could, they could do worse than Carl Anthony Towns (laughs) his replacement, especially if you think about, you know, what they could potentially get back in an Aiton deal. I think purely from an impact on court impact level, I don't think that's an egregious offer that the uh, Bridges, Crowder, and I guess be some picks and whatever. I think from Minnesota's perspective, they would absolutely cackle at that offer and say, never call me again. <laughs> because I think the way, it's like the way they value Carl Anthony Towns is obviously going to be very different than the way other teams like, or the way we do, um, rightly or wrongly. And so mm-hmm. I, I don't, again, I don't think it's actually an egregious offer from a straight up impact point of view, but. I, I don't think Minnesota even considers that kind of package. Yeah, if, if there was a, like a, a, you know, a, a couple of picks in there to sort of help replenish their stockpile, which they obviously really need to do after sending oh, no, so I, again, much out in the Gobert deal. I agree with you. Like if, if a, a package centered around a guy like Mikel Bridges with like multiple, multiple, like three plus first rounders and swaps is the kind of deal that I think impact wise is very astute yeah for minnesota consider for but i i don't think they would actually consider i think the way they see towns and him as the franchise guy and like him being the guy they've built so much around like i think they see him as the kind of guy that should get them the gobert hall they gave up like i think they need way more yeah they i think they're wrong like i agree (laughs) i agree with you i agree that they're wrong but I think that's uh, what they, like Bridges, the way they Bridges would... making half of what Towns is making. Like, I don't like talking about things in these terms, but like Bridges on his contract, I think might be better value than Towns. Again, on his dude, you're, right you're, now. you're preaching in the choir. Yeah. But I don't sing in the Timberwolves choir. <laughs> All right, let's leave it there. Shall we? It <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> seems, right, seems like a good place to leave it. Let's get to make or miss. Where? I remind our listeners, we alternate shooting our shots with a random take, and then we tell each other, preferably in 60 seconds or less, whether it's a make or a miss. So, Wolfond, let's get to it. We talked about how the Sacramento Kings defense was not quite as bad as it seemed early in the season when it was, you know, whatever it was, 28th. It has improved recently as, you know, positive regression to the mean happens with the uh, opponent's shooting because their opponent's shot profile is actually pretty good defensively. Their defensive efficiency rank is now up to 22nd, which for them isn't bad. So as underwhelming as this statement sounds, 
make or miss, the Sacramento Kings will finish with a top 20 defense for only the second time in the last 17 years. Huge make. Just an absolute pure, straight online swish of a make. I've talked about the reasons why I think even though even though there were some like encouraging indicators and reasons to think that they would improve defensively, they're still going to be limited. And unless or until they make a trade, I think that's going to continue to be the case. Just because in terms of like individual defenders, especially on the perimeter, it's not that inspiring. You know, Davion Mitchell is fantastic. Uh, De'Aaron Fox is just really working so much harder at that end of the floor this year than he has in years past. Like super active hands, fighting around screens, making timely help rotations, all that stuff. But like, it's just... And I've talked about like the the limitations of their secondary rim protection too, which is a big issue when they're playing a pick and roll scheme that brings Demontis Sabonis up to the level as often as they do. So there are still limitations there, but in terms of just their connectivity, the way that they rotate, honestly, the way that Sabonis has played, kind of anchoring that defense. I think he's been—I've said it before—but like he's playing the best defense of his career, uh, and and like their defensive fundamentals in terms of just defensive rebounding not fouling too much, creating a decent number of turnovers, giving up the right kinds of shots. All that stuff, you know, in a team context can make up for a lack of elite individual defenders. So, you know, I don't think they're going to wind up being necessarily like a top 15 defense above league average, but I think they'll be in the top 20. So calling that a make. Again, that they've been in the top 20 defensively only once in the last 16 years. That is insane. Yeah. I mean, that's how you miss the playoffs 16 yes, years in a row. Exactly. Exactly. All right, hit me with yours. Okay, switching from the West to the East and from defense to offense. We've got the Boston Celtics at 21-5. and five. Uh, Their defense, by the way, as we kind of expected, is now up to ninth in the league. So that rough start is behind them. Their offense, relative to league average, ranks fourth all-time. I know a lot of people will say they have the most efficient offense of all-time, which technically they do. But if we're comparing across eras, we're going relative to league average. Fourth all-time behind only the 03-04 Mavs, the 04-05 Suns, and the 15-16 Warriors. So they're obviously just playing out of their minds, especially on offense. They have nine players in their rotation with true shooting percentages above 60% including three players, Luke Cornett, Grant Williams, and Sam Hauser, at 70% or above. My make or miss for you, Cash, is the Celtics aren't actually head and shoulders above every other team in the NBA as they currently appear to be, but are sort of just peaking early and riding a crazy wave of shot making, and they will ultimately come back at least closer to the rest of the pack. That's a make. And that is taking nothing away from the Celtics, who I do think on paper coming into the year were the best team in the league. They have played by far like the best team in the league. I think they could be the best team in the league, could very well end up winning the championship. But they are not this much better than the rest of the league and the rest of the Eastern Conference. They are getting by right now on some just outrageously unsustainable shot making and jump shooting. And they've built a roster that can be a very above average jump shooting team for sure but no team can sustain this could they end up with a top like an absolutely elite offense yes are they going to end up with the fourth best offense of all time relative to league average no 
So it's a make. Regression will hit. They will come back to the pack a little bit, even if I do still see them with a one or two seed in the overall standings. They're going to fall back to earth a little bit. And I do think a lot of this as well is this, the league in general is very much on flux. It's the most balanced top to bottom league has maybe ever been. And I think the Celtics are a well-oiled machine early in the season with a lot of continuity playing a very topsy-turvy inconsistent league right now that I do think will start to catch up with them as the season goes on. Okay, what's your next one? My next one is actually uh, based on some listener feedback or I guess, you know, a listener comment. Um, One of our loyal listeners, who's one of the people we've given a shout out to him at some point over the last 272 episodes, uh, Ruben Morales Forte, who tweeted us to ask if Willie Green and David Griffin could win the combo executive of the year and coach of the year awards. Pelicans right now, first place in the Western Conference just leapfrogged Phoenix and are actually about to play Phoenix three times in an eight-night span. So, Wolfon, make or miss, David Griffin and Willie Green will win Executive of the Year and Coach of the Year, respectively, for the New Orleans Pelicans this season. Uh, It's a miss. And I'll start with the Griffin thing. I think he's done a really good job putting this team together. But what he did in this most recent offseason is not the kind of thing that gets rewarded in the voting for this award. Like it's very rarely a, oh, you spent, you know, two or three years carefully putting this roster together. It's, did you make the big swing this most recent off season or in season to put your team over the top? So as good a job as I think he's done, and as much as I personally believe that that type of stuff should be reflected more in the voting for this award, like more of a, not a lifetime achievement award, but like a three or four year building achievement award. I don't think that's ultimately going to do anything for him in that award voting. Not that it matters. Like I, that, that award means nothing to me, but I, I don't think, I don't think he's ultimately going to win it. And then the Willie green thing, it's hard to say, cause I don't know what things are going to look like at the end of the season. And if the Pelicans wind up just ripping through the rest of the regular season and finishing with, you know, high fifties wins and the number one seed in the Western conference, which I think is very much in play for them. Then, I think Willie Green's going to have a strong case. If you're asking me right now, you know, do do I consider him, you know, in the mix or at the forefront of the coach of the year race? I would say very much no. And we've talked on this pod a lot about some of the reasons why and some of the frustrations we've had with his rotations, like the offensive X's and O's, things like that. I think getting them up to, you know, being top five in defense is extraordinary, but I think a lot of the time, actually, this season, they have succeeded in spite of some of the things that he's done rather than because of them. And again, that can change. And I think he's made the adjustments that he's had to make so far in terms of like the way that he's tweaked the rotation, the way that the offense is now running through Zion a lot more frequently. Those are important adjustments to make. And so if he continues to do that and the Pelicans continue to thrive as a result, then he will have a case. Right now, I think the team's succeeding because they're super talented and not necessarily because they've been exceptionally well coached. Which again, I don't think Willie Green's a bad coach by any means, but coach of the year so far, I would say no. So actually, uh, my second make or miss for you is also about the Pelicans. Uh, And it was a very simple one. And it it stems from not only a conversation we had on our last episode, but a, a continuation of that conversation that we've had in the few days since. But given the way that, the Pelicans have played since that episode. 
And given the way some of the other teams we talked about, like Denver and Phoenix have played since then, make or miss cash, the Western Conference is the Pelicans' conference to lose. Miss. Again, not taking anything away from the Pelicans, I think they are a very well-constructed team with a very high ceiling this season that could end up with the number one seed in the West and making a deep playoff run. But theirs to lose... No, I still think, you know, it's a long season. Um, As much as the Pelicans will continue to get better, some of these other teams will too. I still think the Nuggets are going to be very much in the mix for the one seed and to do a lot of damage when the playoffs roll around. I've said it a couple times already. I still think the Warriors are the team to beat in the West once the playoffs actually roll around. So as good as I think the Pelicans are, and they could be in the mix to be the last team standing in the West... I think it's still way too early for them to say it's theirs to lose. Fair enough. Yeah, maybe that that wording is a little bit strong, but I would just say, to put this out there, because it's this is how I feel right now, I think they're the favorite. I think if I was picking right now, who do I think is going to win the Western Conference? I think that it's New Orleans. <laughs> like I think they're the best team. And just being the best team, you know, 25 games into the season is obviously no guarantee of anything, but... I don't know. That's they feel like the favorite to me right now. So that's my prediction. Putting that out there into the ether. All right. Well, hopefully the Pelicans can uh, carry the torch for you more than the Timberwolves have. Um, <laughs> on that note, I think we can uh, get the hell out of here. What do you say? Yes, please. Before we have to talk about the Timberwolves anymore. <laughs> okay. Fan shout out for this week, Joe K. All the way out in New Zealand, reached out on Instagram with photographic evidence that we are number one on his 2022 Spotify wrapped said it's hard to come by NBA analysts in small town, New Zealand. So it's great having us in his ears. Well, Joe, we appreciate you keeping us in your ears and supporting the show the way you have in 2022. And for as long as you have the usual call out, no matter where you are on this planet, whether you're close to us here in Toronto, somewhere else in North America, or as far away in New Zealand, like Joe K, we want to hear from you. Uh, And we want to give you a shout out to thank you for supporting the show and allowing us to do what we do. So hit us up on Twitter at Joey underscore double Y-O-U at Joseph Cacharo. Email joe.wolfond at thescore.com or joseph.cacharo at thescore.com. Find me on Instagram at joe underscore 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 cash. Let us know where you listen from, how long you've been listening, what you like, maybe don't like about the show. I'll also add Similarly to the way Ruben did, if you ever want to reach out with a question or anything like that that you kind of want to hear us answer on the pod, we'll do our best to find a way to incorporate it in the pod, whether it's in the fan shout out section or not. Even if you're someone who's already got a shout out like Ruben has before, we'll try to incorporate your question or whatever into uh, a future episode in some way. Um, on that note, until one of those future episodes, for Joe Wolfon, I'm Joseph Kasharo. Pound the Rock. <laughs>